Chapter 44 of Crypts the Carrier by Richard Doddridge Blackmore. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Chapter 44 The Manor. You see now, Miranda, continued Mr. Sharp, as his wife came and sat quite close to him, that it was my duty to make the most of the knowledge thus providentially obtained. We had met with a bitter disappointment through the most gross injustice brought about, no doubt, by craft and wheedling and black falsehood, when old Fermitage stood godfather to our only child and showed a sense of duty towards him by bottling and walling up a pipe of wine. Everybody looked upon Kidd as certain to stand in his shoes in the course of time. You know how we always looked forward to it, not covetously or improperly, but simply as a matter of justice, and you remember what he said to me before he went to church with Joan Oglander? Quibbles, my boy, this shall make no difference between you and me, mind. I am sure that he meant it when he said it, but that artful woman so led him astray, and laid down the law about wives and husbands and county families and all that, and pouring contempt upon our profession, that all his better feelings left him and he made the will he did and, but for her low, unwomanly cowardice during his last illness, so it would have stood, as she believes it even now to stand. Oh, what a pure delight it will be, cried the lady, unable to help herself. Such a triumph of right over might and falsehood. Do let me be there to see it. There is time enough to think of that, Miranda. Well, as soon as ever I felt quite sure of my ground about the codicil, which Sinhor Galophilos placed in my hands after making inquiry about me here, and being satisfied of my relationship and respectability, I began to cast about for the most effectual mode of working it. It was clear in a moment that the right course was to make a match between Grace, now the legal heiress, and Kit, the legitimate heir. But here I was met by difficulties which appeared at first sight insuperable, the pride of the old squire and his family nonsense and suit of Russell Overshoot, and the girl's own liking for that young fellow, which I had some reason to suspect, the impossibility of getting at the girl, and last not least, the stupid shyness of our Christopher himself. These and other obstacles compelled me to knock them all out of the way by some decisive action. The girl must be taken out of stupid people's power, and brought to know what was good for her. Of course, I might have cut the matter short by walking the girl off and allowing her no food until she consented to marry Kit, and probably if I could only have foreseen my sad anxieties and heavy outlay, I should have acted in that way, but I have a natural dislike to measures that wear an appearance of harshness, and I could not tell how Kit might take it, or even you, Miranda dear. In this sad puzzle, some good inspiration brought to my mind Hannah Patch, then living by herself in London. In a sort of a manner, she is my sister, as I have told you long ago, although she is so many years my elder. Mrs. Sharp nodded. She knew all about it and admired her husband nonetheless for being the illegitimate son of the fashionable Captain Patch. Very well, this admirable man resumed. You are aware that Hannah looked very coldly upon me and spoke of me always as that child of sin until I was enabled to marry you, my dear, through your disinterested affection, which is my choicest treasure. 
Having won that and another more lucrative but less delightful partnership, I became to sweet Hannah the child of love and was immediately allowed the privilege of doing all her legal business gratis. You have often grumbled at that, but I had some knowledge of what it was about, my dear, and I soon obtained that due influence over her which all women ought to have some man to wield. Setting aside her present use, Hannah Patch has two hundred pounds a year of her own, which might be much better invested, and shall be as soon as it comes to us, but it would not do to have her too set up herself. Oh, Luke, what a large-minded dear you are! whispered Mrs. Sharp, with much enthusiasm. I do believe nothing escapes you, and nothing that gets into your hand ever does get out again. Well, I'm pretty well for that, he answered, looking at his large, strong palm. I began with my hands pretty empty, God knows, and only my own brain to fill them. But perseverance, integrity, and readiness to oblige have brought me on. And above all things, Miranda— the grace that I found in your kind eyes. The kind and still pretty eyes looked prettier, and almost young, with a gleam of tears, while the owner of all this integrity proved that it had stood him in good stead, by drawing from his pocket and spreading on his hand a handkerchief which had cost him yesterday fourteen and sixpence in Holborn, ready-hemmed. Yes, he continued with a very honest smile, you see me as I am, my dear, and there are many poor people in the world worse off. Still, it would never do for me to stop. One must be either backward or forward, always, and I prefer to be forward, and I hope to make a great step now, but there must be no hesitation. Well, to go on with my story, I saw how useful Miss Patch might be to us, she has strong religious views which always make it so easy to guide any one aright by giving the proper turn to things. Pugnacious dread of popery and valiant terror of the Jesuits are the leading strings of her poor old mind. I got firm hold of both of these, and being trustee of her money also, I found her quite ready to do good deeds. I allowed her to perceive that if things went on without our interference— Grace Oglander would be married, and her enormous fortune sacrificed to a man whose bosom friend is a Jesuit, a fierce wolf in sheep's clothing, an uncommonly clever fellow, by the by, a very young tutor of Brazenose. She had heard of him, for his name is well known among the leaders of this new sect, who call themselves Anglo-Catholics, and will end by being Roman Catholics. Of these good men, according to their lights, Hannah Patch has even deeper terror than of downright Jesuits. Naturally, such stuff matters not to me except when I can work it. Hannah Patch also had a special grudge against old Squire Oglander, a man very well in his way, and very honest, who thinks a great deal of his own opinions, and is fit to be his own grandfather. He had no love at all for the Patch connection, the Patch on the family, as he called it, and the marriage of his stepmother with Captain Patch, and the captain's patronizing air towards him. In a word, Miranda, he hated them all. However, when Hannah was in trouble once or twice, and without a roof to shelter her, before she got her present bit of cash, old Oglander had her down, and was very good and tried to like her. He put his child under her care to learn theology, 
as she called it, and he paid her well for teaching her the psalms and the other denunciations. They went away together to some very lonely place while the squire was a week or two away from home, and now it occurred to me that this experience might be repeated and prolonged if needful. Oglander had been nervous, as I knew, and as his daughter also knew, about some form of black fever or something, which had been killing some gypsy people, and was likely to come into the villages. I made use of this fact with Hannah Patch to help me, and quietly took my young heiress off to a snug little home in the thick of the woods, where I should be sorry to reside myself. She was under the holy wing of Miss Patch, and there she abides to this present day, and I feed them very well, I assure you. They cost me four pound ten a week, for the evangelical Hannah believes it to be the clearest mark of the beast to eat meat less than twice a day, and Leviticus Cripps, who supplies all the victuals, is making a fortune out of me. No bigger rogue ever lived than that fellow. He is under my thumb so entirely that if I told him to roll in the mud he would roll, and yet with all his awe of me he cannot forbear from cheating me. He has found out a manner of dipping his pork so that it turns into beef or mutton, according to the orders from the cottage, and he charges me butcher's price for it, and cartage for six miles and a half and a penny a pound for trimming off the flanks. My dear, said Mrs. Sharp, it is impossible. He never could deceive a woman so. However devoted her mind might be, the grain of the meat is quite different, and the formation of the bones is not at all alike, and directly it began to roast. Well, never mind, Miranda. There they are, quite reconciled to the situation, except that Hannah Patch is always hankering after the means of grace, and the young girl mooning about her sweet old parent and beloved Beckley. Sometimes there are very fine scenes between them, but upon the whole they get on well together and appreciate one another's virtues, and I heartily trust that the merits of our kit have made their impression on a sensitive young heart. They took to one another quite kindly in the romance of the situation when I brought their sweet innocence into contact by a very simple stratagem. The dear young creatures have believed themselves to be outwitting everybody, the very thing I labored for them both to do. All's well that ends well, don't you think, Miranda? I'm so entirely lost. I mean, I am so unable to think it all out without more time being given me, Mrs. Sharp answered, while she pressed her hand across her unwrinkled forehead and into her generally consulted curl that really, Luke, for a moment I can only admire your audacity, but think, dear, that in a matter of this kind, an especially feminine province, I may say, you might have done me the honor of consulting me. Miranda, it was not to be thought of. Your health and well-being are the dearest objects of my life. I will only ask, could you have borne the suspense and the worry and the anxiety of the last four months? Above all, the necessity for silence. Yes, Luke, I could have been very silent, but I cannot abide anxiety. You call me a dear fat soul sometimes, and your judgment is always correct, my dear. At the same time, I have little views of my own and sensible ways of regarding things. You would like to hear my opinion, Luke, and to answer me one or two questions? Certainly, Miranda, beyond all doubt. For what other purpose do I tell you all? Now, 
Let me have a nap for five minutes, my dear, while you ponder the subject and arrange your questions. He threw his smart handkerchief over his head, stretched out his feet, and took a nice little doze. End of chapter 44